You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Federal Premium Ammunition and their new centerfire rifle ammunition terminal ascent. Now, the terminal ascent has a slipstream polymer tip that helps flatten trajectories and initiates low velocity expansion at longer ranges. The terminal ascent gives you match grade long range accuracy in a bonded hunting bullet and it comes in a variety of cartridges including the 6.5 Creedmoor, the 280 Ackley Improved, the 28 Nosler, the 7mm Remington Mag 30-06 and the 300 Win Mag. If you want to find more information about the Terminal Ascent, visit federalpremium.com and while you're there, check out It's Federal Season, the official podcast of Federal Ammunition. Welcome to the Southern Ground Hunting Podcast. I'm your host, Parker McDonald, and this is episode number 100. Today on the show, we are talking to Land Smathers of Mississippi. We're going to talk about how he hunts the uh, the river bottoms. That's all public land, um, very small pieces of public land, and how he has been extremely successful on mature bucks doing it, as well as a big buck story from the season. You guys stay tuned. This is the Southern Ground Hunting Podcast. everybody thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of the southern ground hunting podcast it is uh, lucky number 100 this is the 100th episode and it is a good one i got to talk with land smathers of mississippi now land is a uh, just a really good woodsman from what i from what i can tell just in our conversation like he really knows how to break down a piece of property and he talks about how he uh, found a target buck last year uh, a buck that he wanted to chase after, and he had several encounters with him. Um, decided to break down this little piece of property that this buck was using um, through the summer and in the off season, and was able to make it happen actually on this deer uh, a couple of weeks ago. Now, interesting enough, um, after we recorded this episode, so um, this past week. Land actually killed another really stinking good buck. Maybe even, I think it's actually bigger than the first one. So it's obvious that the guy knows what he's doing. I think you guys are going to enjoy this episode. We talk about all kinds of terrain, really, but we really stick with river bottom type type uh, type habitat that he's hunting. And um, we talk about food sources. We talk about travel. We talk about all kinds of things. I mean, this is really just a... Um, uh, a great podcast when it comes to talking about river bottom whitetails. So I think you guys are going to enjoy this. I, I want to apologize that I'm getting this episode up later than normal. Usually it would uh, it would drop on Monday morning. And uh, right now, as I'm recording this, it is Monday morning. Um, let me tell you why. So I shot a buck on Saturday and uh, did not put a good shot on it. I'm going to do a we're going to do a full podcast with me and Drew. For this next week to tell you guys the the whole story because it was actually pretty cool uh, i think y'all will appreciate the uh the amount of effort that went into actually killing this deer and um recovering him as well but it was a late recovery last night we ended up having to uh, pack it pack it out um about a mile by the end of the by the end of the track the dogs we had to get dogs on it and everything um by the end of the track when we got back to the impact 
impact shot uh, spot we were at uh, 2.5 miles so you could you could say a mile and a quarter in and a mile and a quarter out but packed with in the hills and hollers of north alabama um it was not easy it was uh it was pretty intense so needless to say last night when i got home i was not feeling like uh, uploading a podcast and doing a whole bunch of work so uh this episode is going to be a little bit late be looking out for a video i got the whole thing on film um it's going to be a fun video to make i cannot wait to start editing and uh, also be on the lookout next week for podcast with the full story of this buck. It's going to be really cool. So um, before we get into this podcast, I want to remind you guys that you can use the code Southern Ground, all lowercase, all one word, on the ScreeGear.com website. Check them out. They have got some really cool stuff. They've got they've had a lot of sales going on lately. My favorite thing that I have from Scree is definitely the hard scrabble. But I will say this week I finally got my merino wool socks from Scree. It was a new product for this season. I got them this week and I've been hunting with them. Uh, I guess I did. I've done about four this whole weekend. So Thursday evening, Friday, Saturday, um, wore those Merino socks. And my wife was actually pretty impressed because my feet usually smell terrible after I hunt because usually they're wet and sweaty and all that junk. Well, the Merino does not stink. It's actually, uh, smells just like a freshly washed sock, which is pretty cool. So, um, again, you can use the code all lowercase, all one word, Southern Ground at checkout. It'll save you a little bit off of your order at ScreeGear.com. So with that being said, let's get into this episode with Mr. Land Smathers. All right, everybody, on the line with me right now, we have got a Mississippi River Rat, self-proclaimed River Rat. We got Mr. Land Smathers. Land, how's it going, bud? It's going fantastic. What about yourself, bud? Man, I can't complain. Just got out of the woods, got uh, busted by a doe that I was going to kill, and she caught my wind and busted out of there, but it's hunting. So, you know, you can't. That's standard. Yep, it's pretty much what happens. And I'll tell you what, dude, I don't know what it is about these freaking Alabama does right now, but when they blow they don't stop like it's not just one blow two blows they bound off go in the woods these freaking things are blowing like four million times and i can't figure <laughs> out why it's never been that way and uh yeah they don't do that now <laughs> that's true that they don't I'm, i think the no I think offense the, to the Iowa boys the midwestern whitetail their blowers are are broken i think or, right yeah, <laughs> we got they got three holes in their nose down here yeah, exactly. So, uh, so man, so you you're in Mississippi. Have you been? Were you born and raised there? Yes, sir. Born, um, in... I was born and raised down around Jackson. Okay, just moved around a bunch in that kind of that area between a few towns in the surrounding area, but pretty much, yeah. Okay, moved around a bunch, but stuck around. So you 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 described yourself to me in a Facebook message as a river rat. So I want you to, uh, before we get into the, the, I guess, tactics part of how you hunt, and uh, I know you recently killed a pretty solid buck, I want to hear about that too, but I want you to define the term river rat. Well, it's pretty self-explanatory, I guess. You spend a lot of time on the river in the summertime, (laughs) hanging out on sandbars, catching fish or whatever. In the wintertime, you're killing ducks or deer or 
even catching a few fish here and there on the hot days because we know we get plenty of those. Oh, yeah. So Man, that's I- about it, really. Just I, That's one of my favorite places to be in the world is on that river. Um, it's just kind of – it's a center of life, just everything around it. You know, it's, yeah. I don't know how to describe it, really. Yeah. Um, I, other than that. There's one thing that I think of when I when I think of people that I would describe as being a river rat or maybe they would they would say that about themselves is they probably have like a lot of <laughs> this is, this is going to sound really weird but they probably have a lot of really like smelly socks. Is that the case? That does sound weird, Parker. <laughs> <laughs> like when I think of like river rats, I think of somebody Walking around with, uh, when, growing up, we had what we had river shoes. Like those are your river shoes, and usually it's your shoes that are, I don't know, ten years old or something. They got holes in the toes and stuff, and you wear your river socks with them, and it's just a a recipe for disaster as far as smells go. Is that do you have yeah. do you have that same uh, that same shoe and sock setup that I that I know about? I do not. No, I'm a little more redneck, and I don't even wear shoes in the water. If I'm <laughs> once I leave that boat ramp, actually, once I park the truck and leave the truck, I have no shoes on. Okay. From there on, and then wintertime, I mean, I'm bundling my feet up because my feet get cold. Yeah. So I got knee boots or hip boots or waders or whatever on. Dude, let me tell you about something. Okay. So people who have listened to this, this you may. Maybe you've known about it. Maybe you're, you and your river rat buddies all know about this, and I'm just finding out about something late. But uh, anybody who listens to the podcast knows that I have a real frustration with my style of hunting and finding a boot that works. Um, because I hunt like more rocky and hilly terrain than probably a lot of – I know what you described. You, ha- you do have some hills and hollers and stuff in some of the areas you hunt. Um, but where I hunt – I mean, you're really getting out of the water and you're walking straight uphill no matter which spot I go to. I got a lot of rocks, a lot of hills, lots of hollers, lots of briars. And one of the hardest things for me to find is a pair of boots that works for water and hiking. Um, Everybody says I need to just wear rubber boots or waders and then change out of them when I get out on dry land. And that's just not what I'm going to do. So I've been trying to find a pair of boots. Well, this week... Actually, last week, I got some money for my birthday, and uh, I decided, you know what, I'm going to try something else. I'm going to try something new. And I got these things. They're called Choda Hippies. Have you ever heard of those? Never. All right. So they're just... I might have known a couple in high school, but I've never <laughs> seen a shooter like that. <laughs> so these are just like, they're just they're just hip waders with a neoprene sock on them, right? And you, they're pretty thin. Uh, but they fo- they fold down. They got a drawstring on the top of them, and they fold down to a pretty uh, like it's not like it's not like the Dan's chaps or something like that where they fold down and they're just kind of bulky on your calf. Like these fold down pretty slim, um, to where they basically just look like gaiters. Um, but they got a neoprene sock on them, and uh, I so I bought some of those. I thought those those will work. You know, let's try them out. At least my feet will stay dry, and I can wear. Uh, like a, a merino wool sock underneath it or whatever to keep them warm. Well, then I started looking more on the website, and they have these uh, wading boots. Now, I've always heard of wading boots from guys who, you know, are in Colorado, and they wade the rivers and fly fish or whatever, but they're like the felt bottom uh, wading yep. boots. Well, they have these ones from the same company called Choda, 
they have these these hybrid hiker wading boots. So they are self-draining. They have these drains on the bottoms on the bottom of them, and but they have the sole of a hiking boot, and they're built like a hiking boot. Um, and they have a, a stiff, like a stiffer sole, but it's rubber with good grip on it for rocks and stuff like that. Um, and so I bought them. I bought those and I bought the, the hip waders and I'm going to try it out. Like rubber boots have always sucked for me. They always get holes in them. Uh, hiking boots, obviously I get wet all the time. Every time I put the boat in, I get wet. So I'm going to try these out and see how they work, but I got them in. Yeah, that'll be interesting, especially probably with the ground sand. It'll probably help with the ground sand a little bit, too. I hope so. Um, the The thing I'm worried about the most, I'll be honest, the thing I'm worried about is the the fact that the shoes, the boot, will take on water. So they're like a hiking boot. They're like ankle high or whatever. Um, but they have these the drain in them. And I'm wearing a neoprene sock with a merino wool sock underneath them. So I can't imagine... On, I mean, what's the coldest it gets down here? Like 20 degrees, maybe on a super cold day. Um, yeah. You know, but it's a humid 20 though, Parker. A humid 20, yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's different. Um, different. But you know, I mean, it's worth a shot. If this works, yeah. I, I think it might, it might help a lot of guys that are in our situation, a lot of river rats, and uh, for sure. You know, that's the that's the hardest one of the hardest things I've been able to find with with hunting water access is a, a pair of boots that actually works the way that I need it to work. So anyways, uh, enough about me. Let's get back to land. So land you, um, you, you were born and raised in Mississippi and have been, I, I assume you've been hunting for a long time. Is that right? Oh uh, yeah. Since I was about, so I shot my first deer when I was 10. So, um, I really, I started hunting pretty a lot with my granddad um about the age of eight probably um we did started out turkey hunting then moved into squirrels and then deer kind of a little bit backwards i guess you'd say mm-hmm. started squirrels typically and then move up to the higher game but um yeah uh so i guess what's that 20 years so yeah. not too long but long enough to learn one or two things yeah so interesting fact land we were talking about this before i hit record but me and you were born within a week of each other so you just turned 30 i just turned 30 um i mean literally like a week within the week uh i also shot my first deer when i was 10 on i believe it was thanksgiving break now if we do this correctly how that sounds really that sounds a lot like i think mine was actually in between Thanksgiving and Christmas, but was yours a 40 pound doe like mine was? Mine was actually a buttonhead. <laughs> so, um, oh, close enough. <laughs> but the same year that you shot your first deer is also the same year that I shot my first deer, which is, uh, which mm-hmm. is interesting. Um, I thought maybe it might line up the same way, but, <laughs> um, yeah. that's pretty, that's pretty, uh, pretty interesting. Anyway, so, so born and raised Mississippi, started hunting, killed your first deer at 10 year 10 years old. 40 pound doe when did you realize that this was something that you were going to be in love with forever right when that safety clicked off <laughs> i was like this is on it was on from then and it, i mean it was it was nerve-wracking at the same time but it was just one of the coolest 
I mean, the, the squirrels and the turkeys before were awesome, but there's something different about that four-legged deer. It's just a little bit, it's a, it's a step above. Now, I still love turkey hunting as my number one, but there's something about a, a deer that is just, I don't know, it might be the skillet that helps. Yeah. But, um, yeah, that was, uh, I don't really have the words for it right now. You're making me nervous. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'll, I'll smooth out here in a second. Um, it's surreal though. I mean, that first deer that you yeah. walk up on, it's like, did I really just do that? You know? Yeah. And it was, it was, I shot her and she was about 60 yards when I shot her and it went right behind the shoulder and she ran and hit, fell in the ditch, which it was all this deer jumps out, all this chaos, getting the gun up and 10 years old putting it behind her shoulder, pull the trigger. She bolts about 30 yards and everything's silent. And, and you're left in this moment of suspension. We're just like, okay, I have no idea if, I mean, I'm sure I jerked the trigger and flinched when I shot too. Yeah. that young. So don't know where you hit the deer. It's just, everything goes from mass chaos to complete silence in a matter of, you know, two seconds. Yeah. And then, sure enough, your your granddad comes in or your stepdad or whoever. For me, it was a stepdad, and you find the deer laying there 30 or 40 yards from where you shot her. Um, and then, I shoot, it was like two weeks later, I went back up there to – this was when we had a hunting camp not far from where I live now, and me and my granddad were sitting together, and we're sitting on – I'm sure you've seen it, you know, these big high line right-of-ways, power yep. line right-of-ways, and every ridge – we'll have a box stand sitting on it like <laughs> yeah. 400 yards from each other. And everybody's just shooting down from there, down, down into the bottoms. And sure enough, I mean, we were sitting there an hour and a buck walks out of five point. Back then it was four points or better were the only antler restriction. Didn't matter if it had four on one side or four altogether. And, uh, ended up shooting him and man, it's, it's been on off to the races ever since. That's crazy. Do you keep, a uh... Do you keep any kind of journal or anything, um, or a tally of I anything of, of how many deer you've killed? Well, I've got, I had a tally, um, on my rifle, which I'd have to go. I, my granddad keeps a lot of my guns because he's got a better safe than I do. Um, one of the, the stock on my old thirty thirty's got a bunch of tally marks, but my bow that I just sold this past year, had all of my I mostly bow hunted once i turned 13 i got a bow and i that's my favorite thing to do and i think it had like 60 something on it or 50 something that's all awesome. tallies from just does mostly does and some bucks a couple turkeys but yeah i and then i shot i got this new bow last year shot five with it last year and it's got two so far this year so i don't know what it is man but it's a few a couple yeah. That's awesome. That's cool. So, so, so you did the, a lot of that kind of stuff. Now, where does, where does like the public land thing kind of come in for you? Well, my, where I grew up was not up here where I'm at now. Well, up here, there's just public land everywhere up and down the river and over in the national forests. I mean, I've got God knows how much over a hundred thousand acres, actually maybe more like 200,000 acres within an hour's drive of me, you know. Um, 
but I didn't grow up here. I just came here on the weekends. And where I grew up, there was one piece that I could get to, and that was the Pearl River WMA on the north side of the Ross Barnett Reservoir. And one of the houses that we lived in came with a canoe. And the canoe was it was one of the old fiberglass ones. Yep. And it was a piece. I mean, it was a piece. And I had, it took me like a couple of weeks to get it to figure out where all the holes were and get them JB welded up. And once I got that done, the public was really my only option. I mean, I didn't have access to private land. I didn't hardly have a car that I could go to get access and gain permission on places. So um, I would just go out to that public land and shoot. I didn't kill a deer out there for like three years before I finally killed a deer. Hmm. And it was actually a pretty good deer. He's a eight point, about 14, 15 inches wide, real heavy horn, one of those river bottom deer. Um, that was down there. That's on the Pearl River. Um, and from then, it, that's a different game. I mean, when you go from hunting private clubs and grandparents' land and horse pastures and cattle pastures where there's not any other pressure really yeah other than your own family and then you're walking out here and you've got dudes with cigarettes and overalls walking up on you with a shotgun it's uh a little bit different <laughs> um it's and true. you start to appreciate you appreciate those deer a little bit more than just the average ones yeah that's that's cool that's i mean but, and the thing is like for you you know the fact that that first public land deer that you killed happened to be a good buck like it's 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 and i i will never downplay somebody we were talking earlier about midwestern deer and and all that stuff like i'm never going to downplay somebody else's deer you know if somebody kills a four point on a hunting club out of a greenfield underneath the feeder i'm not going to downplay it congrats to them if that's if that's you know legal in your state or whatever as long as you did everything legally man i'm i'm jacked up just as much i just and to be honest with you, I'd rather do do that than do most things in in life, you know. Um, but, exactly. But once you kill, hey, if it makes you happy. Exactly. It makes me happy. If uh, it most, I guess most of the time, when once I killed a deer on public, and then once I killed a uh, you know a, a decent buck on public. It was like, yeah, I don't really want to do anything else. Like, there's nothing else that I really want to do more than this right now, and yeah. and, it, and it kind of, it kind of makes it feel like I've I've shot a couple bucks on private since I started hunting public land, and they just weren't the same for me personally. Like, just for me personally, they weren't, they didn't feel the same. And so for you, man, I can imagine, especially early on, like you finally get that first one. Now, was that first buck? Was it like a canoe? Did you use the canoe to get in there and all that stuff? Oh, yeah. Yeah, and, that, and then me being, you know, scrawny, 140-pound high school kid, I got this buck that's 180 pounds, and I'm 500 yards from the canoe, and I'm, <laughs> I'm back here by myself. I'm like, all right, now what? <laughs> and, and that was back before I was packing anything out. I thought you had to drag them out. No yeah. gutting or nothing. Yeah. So, yeah, it took me a while and a couple breaks, but I finally got him in there, and then I'm sure you've noticed in your, cause you've got that new canoe, yeah. you put a deer in it with you. The thing handles a little bit different. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. So yeah, it was a, it was a chore getting in and out. And then I got to the, I had a forerunner at the time 
<laughs> so I've got the canoe and a buck and a forerunner, and I've got to get the canoe on top of the forerunner and the buck in the back of the forerunner. It's just, it's an ordeal, but totally worth it. Oh, it's totally worth it. I mean, and and you remember that forever. You know, I've I've killed several deer on green fields on private land where you just drove up to them and put them in the back of the truck, you know, and, and you just forget about them. But you remember those ones yep. that you had to work for. And, uh, and it's, man, it's something about those memories that just, they just make you feel better, you know? No, it don't matter what kind of oh, deer yeah. it was. You just feel better about them. That's, that's cool. Um, it's funny. I've got, I'm actually looking at that deer skull mount right now and he's nothing. He's probably a hundred inches, maybe yeah. 95, a hundred inches. But that, that single skull mount has gone with me through college and everywhere else. And I've lost several deer heads since then but that one that one in particular has stayed with me and i mean the nose is broken off of him probably from <laughs> something that happened one night and uh but yeah he got dust all over him but that one that one's not going anywhere he won't ever make it to the attic that's awesome that's cool so yeah. so tell me a little bit so you you do you do a lot of this water access stuff which you ain't got to convince me about it i love I love that, but what is what is the 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 terrain and um, I guess what's the vegetation and all that stuff like in a lot of the areas that you hunt? If I had to boil it down, it would be cane thickets, privet thickets, and mud. mud. Um, there's, is, is mud there's a, a vegetation type? Basically, it might yeah. as well be because it's just as big a pain in the butt to get through as a greenbrier thing. Yep. I mean, it's not worse. I mean, you you know, you get in that mud knee deep, and you it make you want to go home. Oh, I mean, dude. you'll be exhausted getting through it. And sometimes it's weird. Sometimes you'll be walking down a, you know, a sandbar, and then you'll just hit the pocket. You'll hit a pocket of that stuff, and it'll go ten yards, and then you come out the other side, and you're back on hard sand sandbar. Yep. Um, other than that, I don't know about you, I don't know about you, but there's been times when I've gotten out maybe in a new spot or something, or, or maybe it's not a new spot, but the water's just down or whatever. And you're walking in and you just get stuck in that mud early in the morning. You're like, crap, I don't, I hope I don't kill a deer today. Cause I <laughs> really don't want to drag one through this crap. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it can be, it can be, it can be frustrating for sure. Oh yeah, and then you get you pack one out, and you've got that extra forty, fifty pounds on your back, and then you hit that stuff again, <laughs> and it's just like, yeah, you just want to lay down and roll across it like a barrel. Yep, I've been um, there, dude. I'm actually sitting here looking at a picture. Uh, I've got a big, huge, blown up picture in my office of a buck I killed last year, and uh, that that same thing happened. Which I drag them because I really like the, I like the picture of the the deer and the kayak and all that stuff. I, it's worth it to me. To get that but yeah. on that video you can see like i was like knee deep just in the sloppiest mud dragging that stupid deer through that junk and yeah. i was i was beat you can see it on my face in the picture i was just like i was whipped <laughs> for sure yeah um yeah once you, that most of that though is right there within that first 20 to 50 yards of yep. the riverbank and then you get once you get past that you get more into what you're going to be hunting yeah but the, the the thing is a lot of times those deer utilize that thick stuff right there up against the river we find a lot of deer bedding up against within that first 50 yards of the river mm -hmm. i mean they can put their back to the river and then 
I don't know about where you're at. I know you're, you're hunting in more t- hill terrain where wind is more of a factor, but around here it's pretty flat with the exception of, you know, levees that the core created or, you know, a ridge dropping off way down into the bottom. Other than that, it's pretty flat. Yeah. Um, and I don't see a lot of wind-based bedding around here. Yeah. Um, it, it just seems like if they're – in my mind, what they're thinking is, of course, they're not capable of this high intelligence, but they got their back to the water, and they can hear anything getting through that nasty crap to get to them. Mm-hmm. Um, now, do you find that – do you find that a lot of the – like the mud and just the the how difficult it is to get into some of those areas. Do you find that that kind of keeps pressure to a minimum out there? Yes, in those specific spots. Sometimes, you know, guys will park. I mean, even if they have to park a quarter mile down in an easier spot to get up, they're still going to get there. But um, sometimes you can find you can find a little spot inside, like in a lot of these. See, what, what happened with the Tom Bigby Channel, what we've got here is the Corps of Engineers came through. The Tom Bigby River, the original Tom Bigby, used to just snake through this area, mm-hmm. like literally like a snake, back and forth and back and forth. Well, the Corps of Engineers came through, and they cut a canal straight down the middle of all of that. So that created a ton of these oxbows where every bend where that river cut through the middle cut it off. Yeah. And... um a lot of the times when they push that, they dredge that dirt up out of the water, it shut off those oxbows and there'll be a, a, a basically a levee almost. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's not a ne- necessarily an actual levee with a road and all that, but it, it creates a funnel of sorts. Now those spots get absolutely pounded, but there's a hundred of them. Yeah. So, um, the ones that I find the best luck on are the ones that are, um, that are harder to see from the map, which yep. is what we were kind of talking about before we started recording. Um, if you can get in there and you can over over the years of looking at aerial photos and t- uh, maps, topo maps, you'll be able to identify the tops of trees, specific trees. Yep. So you can see those those areas that hold water more, like cypress trees or oak trees or. Um, the pine trees, you know, the pine trees are always going to be on high ground. You know, cypress trees are always going to be on low ground most of the time. I mean, 99% of the time. Yeah. Um, and then your oaks are your feed trees and a really, really deep green oak is going to be, um, a water oak, uh, more of a, a, a darker green, more brownish will be a red oak a lot of times. Um, just little stuff like that. Okay. Do you find, uh, I know you mentioned a lot of the oaks being your main feed trees. Is that pretty much your main food source that you're concentrating on throughout the season? Yeah, most, I mean, pretty much all, all of my hunts are based off of oaks um, or food plots, food sources on private ground, catch them coming off of the public on the private, Okay, which I'm sure really makes a lot of the private guys happy. No, that's exactly what I do, man. The game. <laughs> that's what I do. Yeah, yeah I mean, <laughs> listen, uh, I ain't got no shame in it. I hunted a freaking property boundary today. I watched that doe come right off of private land. Um, and, mm-hmm. and if I had to, if I had to be honest with you, most most deer that I have killed on public, I watched them walk off of private. 
Um, that's, you're, yeah, you're exactly well, right. That's the game. Are, you, yeah, I mean, a lot of these places where you got some of these chunks on the river, you've got 200 yards of public from the river up into the private. So, yeah. I mean, if you're you're most likely going to have a deer coming off the private or cutting through. Exactly. Depending on what the parcel looks like. Exactly. Now you mentioned yeah, you mentioned a lot of uh, a lot of the you find a lot of deer bedding right up there close to the water in a lot of those uh, the cane thickets and stuff like that. Do you find um, one of the things I've been noticing this year is that our season opened in Alabama part of part of the state opened uh, two weeks earlier than normal, so I got to hunt deer two weeks earlier than really anybody's ever hunted deer in Alabama legally and the acorns hadn't dropped yet. Um, and so they were still on their summer food, which is mostly natural browse and then private, you know, food plots and stuff like that. But a lot of the areas that I was finding the most deer sign was right up against, right up against the water. And I think a lot of it had to do with the vegetation and the sunlight hitting that right up against the water and it creating a bunch of that, like, undergrowth natural browse type areas in in the flatter river bottom type terrain what you're what you're typically hunting is that something that you see a lot of as well yes especially in these these dried up slough beds old slash beds in there that's dried up during the summertime you'll get that i don't i don't really know what it's called duck potato weed or something like that that really neon green stuff yep um, it's almost like vine. They eat the crap out of that stuff. Cuckleburrs, they eat the crap out of cuckleburr leaves. Um, a lot of that greenbrier, of course, everybody knows that. That's going to be more, we're going to have a lot more of that up towards the pines, which is going to be in higher elevations and more so on private than anything. Yeah. Um, the, the hard, in the summertime, I don't really find a lot of bucks, so to speak. I just, I'm more so identifying likely spots spots that i've made know from the past or something that just looks bucky you know you get that sense sometimes you're looking at it, you're like yeah this is this is right right here yeah um it just sets up perfect for him and then from there it's identifying every I, I, we've got more hard mass around here than i can you you could ever hunt in your lifetime i mean oaks are everywhere that can be a problem unless you got a year like this year where oaks are super spotty they're dropping heavy in some spots but this year it's been awesome because i've got like i'll have four oaks water oaks dropping over here and one water oak way over here you know 150 yards from it well obviously you know as, as long as he's if he's got a pick between the two you know where he's going yeah sure um whereas there's there's 10 water oaks right there and there's only one of them dropping. It makes the, the hunt really easy and picking out a situation. Um, actually, my buddy, last weekend, last weekend was the greatest weekend for a bow hunter could ask for. Um, we got that 15, 18 degree temperature drop overnight. Yep. And went from like 80, 82, something like that on Thursday afternoon to 65, I think it was, 67 on Friday afternoon. I went out and shot a buck. I sent my buddy down to one of my little public spots. He shot a buck, a nice little public eight point. Um, 
And then my cousin, he went to another spot. It was another piece of private. He shot a nice eight point. So it's just that that fur that middle cold front or the cold front in the middle of October is just it's nasty what happens. Yeah. When that happens, and it was all based off of oaks, every, all three of our bucks, every single one of them. Wow. Now hunting that hunting those oaks close to the bedding spot, big thickets. Are you finding big differences, which I don't know necessarily on on the river bottom areas, what what kind of oaks you're typically keying in on, but um, what you said was most of your season, most of your hunts is based around oaks. Are you are you typically trying to find white oaks in the early season and then move more towards red oaks in the later part of the season? Well, it, it just depends. I know where those trees are and the spots that I have picked out. You know, I base I start with the thickets. Yeah. So I need to know because he's not going. You know, you could have a hundred acres of national park wide open oaks of the prettiest, hardest dropping white oaks you've ever seen. There's nowhere for them to bed. They're not going to be any deer there. Yeah. Um. So I'm identifying that, and then going around that 360 degrees, if you find the oaks. So that being said, I'll know what oaks are in the area now. Whether they've got acorns on them or not is the issue. And yes, it's going to be white oaks or water oaks in the beginning of the season. If there's no white oaks around, I'm going for the water oaks. That's going to be number one. Um, or overcups. We've got a lot of overcup acorns around here. You've seen those before. Yep. I'm sure. Um, they like those, but generally they don't, they'll, they'll, well, they actually probably have started dropping by now. They usually drop about middle of October. Okay. Um, and then, but yeah, white oaks are first. And then the red oaks, they'll be dropping here not long. So, <clears throat> but I'm, like I said, I don't know which ones are going to be dropping. I don't go out and, look in the tops of trees to see if I can see them. I'm just, when it's time to go hunt that spot and I say, all right, I got the right wind to go in on it. I'm going to walk around until I find a hot tree. Yeah. Um, that was going to be, that's going to be what I hunt. That was going to be my next question, kind of talking about scouting. So, um, it, it sounds like you have a similar type of, uh, way of going about it as I do. So most of the time what I'm doing, uh, once I've kind of, figured out my areas that I go to, you know, I've, I've done it for years now. So I, I kind of have an idea of what the area looks like. I know what the thickets are and all that kind of stuff. And so really that's kind of made my scouting easy because most of the time, like what you said, I'm not finding in the summertime, I'm not finding a lot of like buck sign or even tracks or anything like that. Like I'll find deer tracks, but I mean, for the most part, the buck tracks are not going to be in a concentrated place where I can try to pinpoint them. So I know, okay, during the season, that's going to change, right? Like the, the bucks are going to be in there, especially once acorns start dropping. You can kind of, especially in like the muddy areas or whatever, you can kind of find, you know, more buck sign. But right. it's made my scouting a little bit easier. So is that kind of what you do? Like, do you do you put a lot of, a lot of time into summertime scouting? Um, not a lot. Uh, I do, you know, I'll probably go, well, let me take that back. I do more scout. I have four trail cameras. I'm not a huge trail camera guy, but in the summertime, I do utilize them. Um, and then once, once deer season gets going, I just kind of, I'll throw them on a 
you know, one of those feeders on the private and just let them run yeah. and go check them every now and then just see if anything moved in the area. Um, but uh, in the summertime, what I do is I'll go to a spot, I'll run in real quick, you know, spend an hour or two here or there and just find something good, a creek crossing, um, a little pinch point of some kind close, real close to a potential bedding spot. And I'll set the camera there and I'll leave it a week. And then I'll come back in a week. If there's nothing on it, I'll pull it out and I'll go somewhere else and find another little creek crossing. Some of these spots, you'll have a ditch that's a half a mile long, you know, and there could be 10 creek crossings mm-hmm. on it. And I'll set a camera here. If nothing here, I'll move down to the next one. Set it there, leave it a week, come back, nothing there, keep moving it. Until I find something. Now, once I find one, then I'm going to do a little bit more research in that area. Yeah. And if I'm getting him once a week, I'm like, okay, he's here, but he's not really here. If I'm getting him like three times a week, I'm going to pull that camera out and I'm going to try to figure out what's my nearest food source, green bar, oaks, whatever it is, going on a private or going to a corn feeder, for God's sake, whatever. Um, And then once I get ready, you know, first couple of weeks of season, I get the right wind and a cool front. That's the biggest thing um, is waiting on the right temperatures. Because that hot day is not going to come out early enough for you to shoot him. Yeah. But that, that, that 15 degree temperature drop day, he will a lot of times. And that's what, that's what I capitalize on a lot. These last about five years, I've quit going every chance I get. And now I go when I, when I know it's a good day. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Kind of saves, saves the grief with the wife a little bit too. Yeah, I understand that. So I, I, I'm, I'm reading through your, I, your post that from the buck that you killed last week, which was a, a solid deer. Um, but I'm just going to read this real quick. Um, and I kind of want you to break down this hunt specifically because I feel uh-huh. like I feel like it has a lot to do with, um, pretty much everything we've talked about from this point from a from a recent scenario that happened to you that's going to be fresh. So I'm going to read this post really quick so we can kind of have an understanding of that and then just get you to break it down. So you said this, I had a very interesting match with this dude. Found him back in early November of last year. Got on him twice before I ran him out of the country. Uh, This summer, I dropped a net of cameras around him and ended up picking him up in early August. From there, I located potential food and likely travel routes. Opening weekend, I made a move on him and got him within range two days in a row. Just never got a good shot. I left him alone for two weeks and came back on him yesterday and got closer to where I had seen him before. Sure enough, at 612, he slipped up and ended up at 11 yards where the story ended. Great buck. I mean, just a solid deer, especially for for the south, you know. Um, yeah. So... You, you mentioned a lot of the same stuff, the net of cameras, <clears throat> finding the finding the food source or potential food source anyways, and the likely travel route. So in this specific scenario, what did that look like? Okay. This deer, last year, I went into a spot blind, didn't know anything about it. I got down in a ditch and I said, I'm going to walk this ditch out until I find something that takes my breath away. And I walked about 200 yards, and I hit a trail crossing that was just beat to the... I mean, there was divots in the side of the ditch. You've, I'm sure you've seen that, especially like an old cattle trail. Uh-huh. Well, they're literally cut. It looks like somebody cut out with a shovel yeah. coming up and down through this ditch. I was like, hmm. 
and it's just raked from deer tracks coming up and down fresh. So I set up, I backed off, the wind was in my face, I backed up a little bit, and it worked out perfect. This this is part of the reason why I uh, um, ran him out, and I learned from this last year. The area I was going in with, the wind was at my face, in my face at, at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, 2 o'clock in the afternoon. The water is flowing the way I'm going, so the yep. water is coming from my back forward. All right, the wind was forecasted for a east wind. It was perfect. It was blowing out of the east just as true as can be. I was so proud of the weatherman. Got up a tree. I see some does come across. I'm like, okay, this, this is going to work out. Sure enough, a big buck comes down. Well, actually, let me back up. This is It gets to about the last 30 minutes in daylight. The wind drops, and you know where the wind, the, my scent is going now. It's dropping straight down that creek. And blowing right back down there towards that crossing where the water's flowing to. Yep. Sure enough, he 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 comes down in the creek, and as soon as he his head gets down in the creek, he doesn't even stop. He just turned around and took off. That was the second time. The first time he used a different trail way on down. I just caught a glimpse of him. But that was the one where I learned the um, thermals. Um, I mean, that's the, all. That's the all wind. thermals. Yeah. Thermal wind. Yeah, the way the wind yeah, worked with that. Because this, this creek drainage is super steep on both sides, which it's only like the, the bank is 10 feet high. But it's straight down in this little maybe 40-yard wide drain. So this year I went in and I started doing my thing where I put a camera on a creek crossing, didn't get him, moved it up a little bit further, and I got a picture of him. So, okay, so I took that camera out or left that camera there and I put another one at the, at two more creek crossings on down past that. And one of them was a spot, it was a sandy spot where, the, where I got the first picture of it. It's a sandy creek crossing. The second one is a muddy one and the mud's like knee deep. It, it comes all the way up to the deer's knees when they cross. And then the third one was another sandy crossing. Started getting him I kept getting him on the one I originally got him on, and I got him a couple times over there on the other one, the right past it, about 50 yards, 60 yards, which, you know, as a bow hunter, I can't I can't work with that. I got to set up on this one or that one. That's too far away. Yeah. Um. So I said, okay, I've got him. He's right here. I'm getting him like two, sometimes three times a week. And what it is, it's, it's basically an old cutover. That's probably eight, ten years old now, but it's still thick. I don't know if it's just poor soil in there or what. It's, it has the saplings haven't taken over yet and shaded everything out on the ground. It's still nasty briars and grass and stuff. Um, he's living up in there and he's coming across this creek bottom into a big block of timber, big oaks, and all kind of other, you know, browse and young stuff. Mm-hmm. So I pulled the cameras out. I'm like, all right, that's him. That's where he's at. I know I need a west wind because it's or I need to be on the eastern side of him. Even though with a west, I'm going to play it with a west wind because I know at dark it's going to hit that creek and it's going to go right back out the other way. So I go in. I waited till last weekend. Well, hold on, I'm getting way ahead of myself. I go in this year and i set some of these cameras i move them off the creek and up on the up on this next ridge up about 150 120 yards away there's a big string of water oaks and these are big big water oaks i mean 
these two dudes couldn't get their hands around them. I'm like, this is, it's right up the ridge from them. It's got to be, there's a little, little bit of a, not even a saddle, just kind of a smaller drainage coming out of the bigger drainage that leads right up, opens up, and it's got to be where he's going to come through. Mm-hmm. So I'm watching, I'm watching, and, they, and then the acorns start dropping right there at the end of September. And sure enough, here he comes. Well, most of the time he's got his legs are, are clearly wet, but they're just clear wet. There's just water on them. Sometimes he's coming in, he's got that mud knee-deep down his legs. So now I'm like, it's, and it's literally probably half and half. I can't associate it with any wind. I think it's just whatever he wanted to do for that day. Mm-hmm. So I'm watching, and I'm finally I'm thinking, all right, maybe it's going to have to be something significant, but maybe I can catch him up here on these oaks. Let me, let me ask you a question dropping. really quick about that. Okay. Because I was thinking about it as you were talking. Did you find him becoming on camera more consistent once the acorn started dropping? Was it more than two to Absolutely. three times a week? Yes. I mean, it was probably more like three or four. Okay. Which this is, I mean, I had two weeks of, of data to go off of because, I mean, they, they started, the water oaks usually around here start dropping like in the set, that last fourth, like last week of September. Okay. And then by opening weekend, they're raining. So but once they started dropping, yeah, he's showing up a lot. And it's obviously his first place he's going to because he's getting there right at that last, you know, high trail camera, right at last light. It'll, it'll, the infrared will be working. Uh-huh. The woods are super bright yep. because it's last light, but a little too dark. So, um, I'm like, okay, well, this one's, this one's a done deal, but I was scared to go in there because I know how these winds in this river bottom work. They're actually more predictable down in the bottoms, <clears throat> which most people, have problems with swirling winds mm-hmm. but as long as that it seems like as long as that wind is, has a easterly or westerly direction say with a easter east and west run and draw yep. it's a lot more predictable than being up on top because it seems to that wind up there is so variable it seems like so i wanted to kill him down there in the bottom but sure enough the um the last weekend came i'm like all right i'm making my move so i left he, I got a few pictures of him at like 1 o'clock in the afternoon, 2 o'clock in the afternoon, <laughs> 11 o'clock in the morning. So I'm like, all right, I'm leaving here at noon, and I'm going ahead, and I'm going to get in the kayak. I'm going to go down. I'm going to be completely silent, and I'm going to do – I'm going to go as slow as I possibly can. And I slipped in there. I had my standing sticks on my back. And I looked at the camera while I'm standing there. Uh, I'm, I'm looking over these pictures, and he's here. And then I get him in the background of another deer standing there eating, and he's like 30 yards behind it. I'm like, oh, God. So I've got a north-northeast wind. Was it north-northeast or north-northwest? Either way, I set up. I think it was north-northeast last weekend. I set up for that. So basically and the wind um, is blowing across the drainage. With Right. But it's going to – I know – the way I'm playing it is at last light when it dies, which it usually does, mm-hmm. it's going to fall right off and it's going to miss him by probably 40 yards, 50 yards when he comes up out of that Creek bottom. So that's what I'm praying for. And sure enough, it a deer's right at dark. I don't see anything. I'm set up by two thirty, and I don't see anything till that last 30 minutes. And then deer start piling out of this bottom. 
coming up to these oaks and they're eating oaks down past me. They're eating oaks, um, right under me. And about, let's see, it was 618 when I shot. So about 612, I hear a grunt coming up out of that bottom. I'm like, Oh Lord, here we go. And then off to my left, I hear big, heavy footsteps coming the way I came in. I'm like, huh? And it turns out, he comes up out of the bottom to my right at the same time as another nice buck comes in from my left. And they both meet right here at this oak, right in front of me. One's at 11 yards, one's at about 13 or 14. <laughs> and I'm standing there. I got all these deer around me. I got probably four does around me and these two bucks. And I'm waiting on the right time to draw. And they both, something comes in from on down past me. Um, I passed them in front of me and they both turn and look directly away from me at this deer coming. And so they both got their butt to me. I figured now is a good time as any. I drew, put the, I, and I said, as soon as he turns, I'm shooting. And I put the pin right on his, basically his butt and waited on him. I'm about five or six seconds. He turned back to his right and I, he was quartering away hard. I put it on his last rib, let it go. And he ran right back down the bottom where he came from. Of course, made it over the ditch and died right there about 120 yards. So it's really, it's not a super um, delicate, it wasn't a super delicate situation or a hard buck to track down. It was just a matter of waiting on the right situations yeah. and playing that wind using what I learned last year to kill him. Yeah. I mean, so. that it, it's it's a lot of... It's a lot of things. So, I mean, you, you figured out, which, I mean, when you're hunting a cutover uh, or around a cutover, at least for me, I one of the things I'm going to look at is that's probably where the deer or the buck that I'm after is living in, in those thick, those real thick, you know, couple year old cutovers that I almost always, every time I look at them, that's what I'm assuming. And so um, you figured that out. You figured out obviously the the spots that were hot right there and then the thing that i'm super interested in though is that that kind of just casting a net of trail cameras around that same area and a lot of people would maybe think that that was foolish because you're using all your trail cameras for one specific spot and not keeping tabs on another spot but in this scenario that seems like a lot more likely way to to key in on one deer um, or, yeah, you know, that's kind of what I, go ahead. I was just going to say, or, you know, if another bigger deer was living there too, I mean, you'd be able to figure that out as well. Um, yeah, well now I've got another one to go get, <laughs> apparently, uh, yeah. if I didn't spook him too bad. So, yeah, exactly. He's a pretty cool looking buck too. He's a double main beam buck. Both, I mean, his right side's got two big old long main beams and then just a four point side on the left, but it, we'll figure him out. We got a lot of time left, but yeah, dropping, I guess that that's typically what I do. And it's, it's gotta be the right situation to do it. Um, like that Creek, I can go in and there in that Creek and the Creek is above my head. Those banks, steep banks are above my head. I can walk in the water. I can reach up on a tree on the bank, check that camera and never have to get out of the bank and leave a bunch of sin in there. Mm -hmm. So I could literally go in there in the middle of the day every week and check those cameras as long as I didn't get out of the creek 
Now, if you were in a woods type situation, I probably would not do that. Yeah. Because you, I mean, you're talking about leaving a lot of scent, going and checking three or four cameras, walking around once a week. That buck's going to get on to you real quick. Mm-hmm. Um, but th- that's one of the advantages of hunting around all this water up here is there's almost always some way to get close to your area. Maybe not in your tree, but close to your area using that water, um, whether you're walking in or paddling in or whatever. Yeah. Um, so, so were you finding, yeah. were you keying in on these these uh, crossings? Obviously, you're finding tracks and things, but were there, like, specific things about these cr- crossings in the creek, like um, where you would have maybe an oxbow or a turn they were crossing there, or, like, the, the straightaway, straightaways right after a some type of turn in there where it got shallow? Is that kind of what you were finding? No, the, what I noticed is the the most of that traffic was just due to that. I mean, this this drain, like I say, the ditch is in one drain, and there was another little finger drain that comes out leading up to those oaks up on the ridge where I shot him. Mm-hmm. Most there were three good trails right there, and every one of them was headed straight up that drain. I mean, it's just textbook terrain feature stuff because yeah. that's the only. Everything else is just a bank. I mean, which is, it's not a steep grade. It's probably like a 30 degree grade. It's nothing crazy to deter a deer. It's just that extra little degree of ease. Yeah. Just funneled that traffic so heavy. Um, yeah. Other than that, I couldn't identify anything. There were no rubs leading down to it. It was m- merely a, a spot, they, an obstacle they had to get to to go from bedding to food. Yeah, and it's a spot that, unfortunately for them, they leave a lot of sign in it as far as hoof tracks. Yeah, I mean, and it, I mean, even then, when they're going up that bank, you can't tell, you can't, you know, designate a a big buck track over a fawn track. They're all just scrapes. Yeah, on the side of the bank. Yeah, so you just got to either put cameras out or hunt them strategically, and hope for the best. Yeah, because a lot of people would have seen, you know, the one maybe the first one and said, man, I'm going to sit up right here, you know, just because there's a lot of deer sign, but man, that's a, that's, that's such a cool, I mean, it sounds to me like what happened is you, you learned a lot. I mean, you learned a lot about thermals with it last year. And that's one thing that I really enjoy about, especially about hunting like flat, flat land with, with water is that Mm -hmm. you can, you really can like, figure out what your thermals are going to do pretty daggum easy it's always going to go oh yeah you can towards almost the water. call it yeah yeah I, I love that as long as the wind doesn't override it your thermals will go to that water yep. it's the best i love it and then i can't I'm, and i normally sit i sit on the ground i hunt off the ground a lot and but even then i mean if you're sitting on that creek bank i've even sat in the creek itself just leaned up against the bank and have your shot ready for the crossing at 30 yards right to your right or your left, whichever hand you shoot with. Um, and that there is, that is bulletproof. There, it does not get more bulletproof than that. Water's going to go straight down where that water's flowing. I yep. mean, your wind's going to go straight down where that water's flowing. And the best is whenever the wind direction is already going towards the water. So no matter what, it's going to go down towards that water. Um, exactly. Yeah, it can roll fun. all it wants to down there in that creek. It's fun, man. It's, I, it I, ain't bothering a thing. I've done that in Tennessee. I've done that a lot in uh, some parts of North Alabama. 
I've used that a lot where uh, on my dad's property in East Texas, pretty much anywhere, anywhere you find that real swampy stuff, it, you can you can really, really use that water to your advantage. Um, and I, I, I love it. I mean, it's so much fun to do that. And it's it's really fun, even if you don't kill something or you don't see something, to get in those spots where your your confidence is just so high that like, okay, if a deer comes in, I'm not getting winded in this spot. That just feels good to know mm-hmm. that, you know? Yep, exactly. Um, that bulletproof. Man. You know, even it doesn't necessarily even have to be um, water. There doesn't have to be water present. Um, a lot of these old slashes, they'll, they'll they are only wet. We call them wet weather sloughs. It's where when you get a big rain, they'll have water in them. Yep. But other than that, they're just muddy. That mud is very cool. You can put your hand to it and feel it, and that draws your thermals down just as just as good mm-hmm. as say a water source. Oh yeah, just something to keep in mind. Absolutely, I use I use dried out creek beds all the time for thermals because I just gotta always assume that that creek bed is gonna be at the lowest elevation in that area. So your thermals are just gonna fall whenever the sun starts going down, or you know, early first thing in the morning, your thermals are just gonna fall to the lowest spot. Absolutely, and so I Absolutely. use those all the dang time anyway. So. Well, man, yep. that's a that's a cool story, a great buck, and a lot of stuff that somebody could really take away from whether they're hunting in the in the same type of terrain, the same type of area, or not. I mean, I'm I'm listening to your story, and I'm thinking about a lot of different areas that I could, you know, use a lot of these tactics in in the hills, you know, and it'd work out the same way. And so, absolutely, um, I think that's I think that's super cool, man, and. So in Mississippi you can kill two bucks, is that right? Three. Three bucks. Three, three bucks in three Mississippi. Three bucks and three does. Man, so you're... Yeah, y'all got the y'all got the record over there. Y'all can kill what, like a hundred does, one a day or something like that. <laughs> if you want to use a bow, and so in some parts of the state you can kill uh you can kill a doe a day with a rifle, even with a rifle, but I think everywhere everywhere you can kill a doe a day with a bow. Um, and then we get three buck tags. So it, it's, uh, I might have to ease over there and get some of that action. Listen, man, I could use your help. There's a spot that I hunt, uh, more, um, further South that is, uh, very, very similar to what you're, what you're describing in the areas that you hunt. We need to plan something to go down there and let me pick your brain on hunting some of this river bottom stuff. Hey, let's do it. I don't know if you'll learn anything, but we'll we'll either blow some out of the country or stick something. <laughs> Heck yeah, man. Uh, we we could kill a hog too. Do you got a lot of hogs over there? Man, I, I don't need. I, I wouldn't care if I never saw another daggum hog in my life. I hate those things. <laughs> you talk about a scourge on the earth. I hate them. That's I hear that from a lot of people who live in places where there's a lot of hogs. Uh, yeah, I I love them. I mean, I love hunting them. It's fun. I'm not no, they're say, fun to shoot. They're really fun to shoot, especially with a thermal scope and a rifle, an AR. It's yeah. about 2 o'clock in the morning in a big open field. Just mow them down, kill them all. Yep. We have, uh, we've got a lot of them on my dad's property in East Texas, and he's the same way. He's got his feeders out and stuff, and he's like, I can't hardly keep any deer here because stupid hogs eat all the corn. And uh, Yep, deer, turkeys, everything. They run yeah. everything off. Yeah, they do. They do. Well, man, I'm not going to keep you too long. I'm going to get up early, early, early in the morning here in about four hours. So 
uh, we'll wrap this up, man. Tell me, is there is there anywhere that that people can follow you or see some of the some of the hunts that you're doing and some of your pictures from past hunts? Man. <laughs> Uh, they can follow me on Instagram or Facebook. My Instagram name is so stupid. Um, I need to change it. It's uh, land on your face. So there's that. And then my name for Facebook. Just follow Facebook. That's a, I put some dumb stuff on Instagram sometimes. So I I really just yeah. wanted you to say the the Instagram name. If I'm being honest with you. <laughs> no, that was that was back in my in my rodeo days. I came off a bull. A scorpion to the ground one time and old redneck dude behind the, the sheet said i'm just gonna start calling you land on your face now <laughs> so it just kind of stuck after that <laughs> that's awesome that's really cool yeah. um i was I, I was interested to know where that name came from that makes a whole lot more sense i thought well i'm not gonna tell you what i thought when i first saw it but <laughs> um <laughs> uh anyways so Dude, I hope you have a great rest of the season. You're already starting off starting off super strong. Um, I imagine that once the once the weather starts getting right and the hunting starts getting better, you're not gonna have any issue with it. So. Oh yeah, it's on. It's all downhill from here, brother. Heck yeah, heck yeah. Well, man, thanks so so much for coming on. Yeah, man, keep whacking them. All right, thanks again for listening to the Southern Ground Hunting Podcast, and big shout out to Land for coming on the show. And, uh, and talking with us, I am super jacked up to, uh, to, to be able to bring you guys this podcast with Land. He is a uh, just an all-around good, good woodsman and great deer hunter. And uh, I know he's going to be even more successful throughout the rest of the season. I believe he only has one more buck tag left in the state of Mississippi. So uh, he's, he's starting off right. Like I said at the beginning, he, he actually shot another buck in between the time we recorded this podcast and when it drops. So... Uh, Check him out on Instagram if you want to see that that uh, the pictures of those deer. Super cool dude, and uh, again, really appreciate it. Really appreciate him for coming on the show. Um, again, guys, I, uh, I I wanted to apologize for having this episode out late, but it is for good reason. I'm going to be able to bring you guys some some pretty cool content over on the YouTube channel. That's Southern Ground Hunting on YouTube. There's going to be a video hopefully this week of the buck that I killed um, that I recovered yesterday evening. Um, and also a podcast next week as well on the whole story that you guys will enjoy. It was pretty cool, uh, really neat story, and one of the cooler, uh, one of the cooler stories that I have um, when it comes to uh, bow hunting. I think, and I've got some pretty good ones. So I think you guys will enjoy this uh, more than anything. The, the the track job was just incredible. So, um, yep, go check out ScreeGear.com, TetheredNation.com for all your saddle hunting needs check out newcanoe.com if you're looking into getting the kayak hunting game it is a blast um yeah check us out on facebook and on instagram at southern ground hunting that's going to be it for this week we will talk to you guys next week remember this that god gave you dominion over the birds of the air the fish of the sea and the beasts of the earth so go out and exercise that dominion we'll talk to you soon